Good morning. Please pray with me. Shine within our hearts, loving God, the pure light of your divine knowledge. And open the eyes of our minds and hearts that we may understand and embrace the message of the scripture. And all God's people said, The scripture is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5 through 18, found on page 382, 382 of your pew Bible. Again, 1 Kings 19, verses 5 through 18, page 382 in the Pew Bible. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. 
And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Thank you, Russell. Those are tough names. You know, you just wish guys were named like Frank or Steve or Bill or Bob. Hazael. That's a great, good job. That's well done. When temptation, when temptation comes our way, what should we do? What should we do? Reminds me of the story of the young Presbyterian minister who was right out of seminary. He had the, uh, his first call. It was not a very big salary, and so he was trying to make ends meet, and every month the bills were tight. And one month he got the credit card bill, and he saw that his wife had spent $350 on a dress. Well, he approached her and said, sweetie, how can you do this? How could you allow this to happen? $350 for a dress? He said, well, honey, I, I didn't intend to, but, you know, I was in the mall walking for exercise because you know, it's cold outside, and, and I, I walked by this display, and I saw this beautiful dress, and well, it was as if it was speaking to me, to telling me to try it on. I felt like Satan was right there in my ear, and I thought, well, it wouldn't hurt to try it on, right? So I went in, and I tried it on, and then as I stood before the mirror, Satan was right there telling me, boy, you look good in that dress. You should buy that dress. Well, the Presbyterian minister wanting to coach his wife on how to resist temptation, of course, turned to the scriptures and said, well, you know what I say when I feel Satan is tempting me? I say, get behind me, Satan, which is, of course, a, a quote from, uh, uh, from scripture. And the, woman, the wife said, well, sweetie, I, I did that very thing. But then he told me it looked good from behind as well and <laughs> knew I had to buy it. In our consumerist culture, where we are constantly being told to to buy this, to eat that, to drink this, to drive that, to put on this perfume, to wear these clothes, to go here, and then we'll be happy. It can be difficult to resist temptation, can it not? We know that we have a certain budget, and and we know that the scripture says that the, the borrower will be slave to the lender, but with so much accessible credit, it's easy for us to, to rack up some debt in pursuing what we want. It's hard for us sometimes to say no, is it not? Did you know that the average household in the United States today has $7,700 in credit card debt? And the interest rate on credit card debt right now is around 14%. When temptation comes our way, what should we do? Now, historically, the church has always taught and preached on the, the danger of the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. I imagine all of us here have probably wrestled with at least one of those seven, if not all of those seven at some point. Anybody here ever wrestle with the, the, the de- seven deadly sins? You've got lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Anybody ever wrestle with any of those? Am I the only one? Okay, good. A few other hands. The scriptures say we're all sinful, okay, just so we're honest with ourselves. Several months ago, it was funny, I was uh, in Dallas visiting a friend uh, who I used to work with in Price Waterhouse. He was raised Roman Catholic. We went to go see a movie together, and, and as the movie was over, we were kind of talking about the movie and the subject matter of that movie, and, 
And uh, he began to talk about, you know, the recent redefinition of marriage that has happened within our culture. And I pointed out that we've joined a denomination, uh, a, new, a new Presbyterian denomination that upholds the, the biblical and historical definition of marriage and, uh, as just one of the many reasons that we made that move. And, and he said, you know, it's interesting to me, uh, the, church, the church spends a lot of time talking about sexual sin, but I don't hear the church talk a lot about the sins of gluttony, sloth, wrath, envy, or pride. I never heard the church talk about these things. Why is that, Howard? He had me. I, I couldn't really answer the question. I, the fact is we probably don't talk about these sins because, well, as Christians, we can be just as guilty of gluttony and sloth and wrath and envy and pride than the rest of culture. How can we make sure that as followers of Jesus... We do a better job of distinguishing ourselves from the rest of culture, that we resist the temptations of lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. He then goes on to say that we're the light of the world. Both of these adjectives talk about how we're called to be distinctly different from the rest of culture. We're called to live in such a way that we help point others to the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives. But in order to do that, we've got to be able to resist temptation when it comes. You know, the culture says that our happiness should be our ultimate goal, but Jesus says that we should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. According to the Bible, holiness, not happiness, should be our pursuit. Our culture tells us that we should make a name for ourselves as we, seek to be, uh, as we seek to achieve recognition and prestige, but the Bible tells us that all glory and honor should ultimately go to God. Our consumerist culture tells us that it's all about us, but the Bible tells us it's all about Jesus. In the midst of a culture that contradicts so much of what the Bible says, how can we make sure that we resist temptation? when it comes, so that we might live as Jesus lived and ultimately point others to him. To find out what we are to do and what we can do to help resist temptation, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It may be found on page 1027 of your pew Bible, Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. But before I read God's word, let's call again upon his spirit to open our hearts and minds at the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as he pray. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that you inspired Matthew to put pen to paper. We thank you, Lord, for the words of Jesus that we find in this text. And we thank you for the words that you continue to use to lead us and guide us. God, we pray, O Lord, that by your word, you would offer us direction now as we seek to walk in the way of Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see what you want us to see ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts that would be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter four, beginning at verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as you pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray, O God, by your spirit, you might speak to us now. May my words reflect your will. In your son's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now why would the spirit of God lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? I mean, I thought we were supposed to resist temptation. In fact, the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer is, lead us not into temptation. We don't want to go even near temptation. We want to avoid temptation. Why would the Spirit of God lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Well, right before Matthew chapter 4, in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus has gone to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the great prophet of his day. He was calling people to repentance. And then Jesus comes. And John the Baptist, knowing that Jesus is greater than he is, tells Jesus, no, I should be baptized by you. But Jesus says, no. No, all righteousness must be fulfilled. And so Jesus submits himself to the baptism of John the Baptist. Jesus insists on being baptized by John because Jesus wanted to submit himself to the full human experience ultimately, so that we might be saved. You see, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, not only so that Jesus might rebuff the temptations of Satan, but also so that Jesus might be able to experience temptation and so empathize with us as we experience temptation today. As the, as the author of Hebrews points out to us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast for our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Today we can approach the throne of grace with confidence knowing that we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who has been tempted in every way that we are. He can truly empathize with the temptations that we experience here on this earth today. And he was able to resist 
temptation. So how? How was it that Jesus was able to resist temptation exactly? Now at this point, it's easy for many of us just to kind of put the Bible and say, well, gosh, you know, Jesus was the son of God, right? I mean, he was born, as we say uh, in the Apostles' Creed, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, right? We always say that in the Apostles' Creed. We read about it in, in Luke chapter 2, the, the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus. So, so he was fully God, but Jesus was also fully man. And notice that in verse 2 of our text in Matthew chapter 4, it says that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, if Jesus was just divine and not human, would he get hungry? But Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And so, yes, he got hungry. I mean, does God get hungry? Well, when God is in the form of flesh, when he is fully God and fully man, yes, he gets hungry. And Jesus was hungry because he had been fasting He had not eaten for 40 days. Notice that it says he was hungry. It doesn't say he was thirsty. If Jesus had gone without drink for 40 days, he would be dead. But it's possible to go many days without food. Now, I don't know what your experience of fasting has been, but if you'd like to try fasting, I would not encourage a 40-day fast out out the gate. That would be a little difficult. (laughs) But it's very uh, easy for us to do a 24-hour fast if you're physically able. Uh, The best way I have found to do that is to, to have a really big lunch and then to skip dinner skip breakfast, and then have lunch again. And during that 24-hour time period, as you're fasting, spend time feasting on the Word of God. During the mealtime, when you would normally have dinner, take time to read and to pray and to meditate on God's Word. As Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as you spend that time fasting, you'll notice that your metabolism begins to slow down. As your metabolism begins to slow down, then as we said in Psalm 46, just a moment, 46 verse 10, we will be still and know that he is God. His fasting is a, is a valuable spiritual discipline for us to consider as we seek to hear from God, as we seek to be still and know that he is God. In fact, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, he actually required that every minister would at least uh, fast once a week, one day a week. He expected all of his ministers to fast at least one day a week. I thank God I'm a Presbyterian. Uh, it's a lot easier not to have to do that every week. But if we want to connect with God in a, in a special way, in a powerful way, fasting is a great discipline to do. As we skip these meals, we spend our time focusing and praying. In fact, if you notice in the Sermon on the Mount, fasting and prayer are together. He talks about fasting, he talks about praying in the same uh, section. As we fast, our prayer life is ultimately enhanced. Now notice, notice that in our text, As Satan tries to tempt Jesus, Jesus responds every time with the word of God. Specifically, all the scriptures that Jesus quotes come from Deuteronomy chapter six through eight. When Satan tries to tempt Jesus to turn stone into bread, to selfishly use his powers to create, move stone into bread, Jesus uses the word of God, specifically Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, to rebuff Satan's temptations. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the second temptation, when Satan tells Jesus to to jump from the pinnacle of the temple, Satan actually quotes Psalm 91, verse 11. And if you read Psalm 91, verse 11, you can see that it's very clear Satan is taking this verse out of its biblical context and therefore misrepresenting what that text has to say. 
Satan says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan sees that Jesus is using the word of God to rebuff his temptations. And so Satan says, oh, well, you want to say what the word of God says? Well, here's what the Bible says taking a verse completely out of its context. If you read Psalm 91, you'll see that Psalm 91 is not calling us to test God or to challenge God by, by doing something that would, um, in, in essence, presume upon God to save us from a dangerous situation. Rather, Psalm 91 begins by encouraging us to rest in God, to trust in God, to, to rest under his shadow. If we read this in Psalm 91, verse 1 uh, to 2, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Psalm 91 is all about trusting God, resting in God, not jumping off the top of a building to see if God will ultimately save you. Jesus can see very clearly that Satan is misrepresenting the word of God. And so he, he rebuffs Satan with, by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, when Jesus says, you shall, the scriptures also say you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the third and final temptation, Satan offers Jesus the world and all of its temporal kingdoms and all of its temporal wealth if Jesus will simply bow down to him. And Jesus responds immediately by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Notice that every time Jesus is tempted by Satan, he uses the word of God to rebuff Satan's temptation. Are we able to do the same? When temptation comes, are we able to hear clearly from the word of God, the scriptures, that this is not God's will for us? We will be able to resist the temptations with the word of God if we've taken the time we need each and every day to spend time in his word. As you look at Matthew 4, we can see that the spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness so that he might spend time in solitude, praying, fasting, and ultimately feasting on the word of God. As Richard Foster, the author of that great book, Celebration of Discipline, talks about how fasting is really feasting on the word of God. Rather than eating food, we're, we're consuming the word of God as we meditate on it and look to it for nourishment and strength. It's interesting, many biblical scholars have pointed out that the 40 days in the wilderness parallels the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the wilderness before they came into the promised land. And during that 40 years of testing, the Israelites often failed to follow God. But in these 40 days, Jesus redeems that time by faithfully adhering to God's word. In fact, using the word of God to resist the temptations that Satan brings. If we want to be able to resist temptation like Jesus did, it would be good for us to spend time alone with God, praying, fasting, and ultimately feasting on the word of God like Jesus did. In fact, as we look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can see that Jesus regularly would slip away to, to be alone with his heavenly Father. As you read in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, but Jesus would often withdraw to lonely places to pray. For instance, in Luke chapter 6, before Jesus selects his 12 disciples whom he called apostles, he spends a whole night in prayer. After feeding the 5,000 in all four Gospels, you'll read that Jesus slipped away to be alone with his heavenly Father. On the very night that Jesus is betrayed, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he has his disciples with him, but then he slips away to be by himself to pray to our heavenly Father. Jesus is constantly spending time alone with our heavenly Father to prepare himself for the work that God is calling him to do. Like Elijah, Jesus knew that the 
The still small voice of God is heard best in solitude, in silence, in prayer. In preparation for this morning's message, I actually went on a hike in Paladura Canyon. I uh, went on the Lighthouse Trail, which I saw you and Brandon one time, Elizabeth, on that trail. And just taking that same trail, and I put my headphones on, and I had my, my iPod, uh, iPhone going with uh, lots of great worship music. So I was listening to worship music as I went uh, down this trail, just praising God. And eventually, I, I, I found a bench to sit at, and I sat there and just looked at and admired God's beautiful creation. And I went to my favorite psalm, Psalm 121, which says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Then I sat there and I just began to think about God's amazing creation, how the creator of the heavens and the earth is the same God who, who holds me, who will not let my foot slip, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 121. I began to pray and just thank God for his presence. As I put my Bible down, providentially, the wind began to blow and it, it blew to Psalm 92. Now, I knew what Psalm 121 said. I, I had read Psalm 91, which precedes Psalm 92, but I wasn't exactly sure what Psalm 92 I hadn't read in a while, so I, I thought I'd read that to you, and I want you just for a moment, if you can, just to close your eyes and think of a place in the midst of God's creation. Maybe it's Paladura Canyon, or, or maybe it's the mountains of New Mexico or Colorado, or perhaps it's just a, a beautiful sunrise or sunset here in West Texas. And listen to these words from Psalm 92, verses 1 through 4. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. May open your eyes. As I looked around me, I just couldn't help but give thanks to God for the works of his hands. Works that are truly amazing. And the ultimate work of God's hand is when he sent his son here to this earth to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life if we simply believe in him. If Jesus, the son of God, who's fully God and fully man, needed to get away to be alone for prayer, fasting, and the feasting on the word of God, don't you think we should as well? If we want to be able to resist the temptations that this world will inevitably bring, then we need to take time to be still, to know that he is God. If possible, we, we ought to fast from time to time, seeing how as our metabolism slows down, we are able to slow down and to hear from God. Or we, rather than eating food, we feast on the word of God. And then as we listen to God's word, in obedience to his spirit, we will be guided to live and to spend the rest of our time on this earth to the glory of his name. As we think about in a moment, in November 1st, our Commitment Sunday that's coming up, we're going to ask you to make a commitment in 2016, not only of your treasures, but of your time, talents, and treasures knowing that that is what God has called us, that everything we have is ultimately a gift from him, and we want to be a good steward of God's time, talents, and treasures. As you begin to discern that, I would encourage you to take some time in the next few weeks to, to be still and to be alone, to spend some time in solitude with God, to pray so you might hear God. For if we want to be prepared for the temptations that this world will ultimately bring, we need to do what Jesus did. We need to spend time in the presence of our Heavenly Father praying. For I believe that the Spirit of God sent Jesus into the wilderness in order to prepare him for the work that God was calling him to do.
For it was in that wilderness, in Matthew 4, that God was able to prepare him to do the rest of his work that is described in the rest of, God, of Matthew's gospel. It was in the wilderness, uh, being alone with the Heavenly Father, praying, fasting, and feasting on the word of God, that Jesus received the nourishment and the strength he would need for the journey ahead. If Jesus needed to be alone with our Heavenly Father, then don't we as well? The next time temptation comes, we'll be ready if we will spend time in his word alone, praying, fasting, and feasting on his word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for the example that he has set for all of us, that he was able to resist temptation because he spent time alone with you. As he spent time alone, you nourished him and you strengthened him and you, you ministered to his soul. So God, we pray that you might do the same for us, that we might take the time we need, that we might be counter-cultural with our time. Where, where the culture is spending five hours a day watching television, we might take time to move away from technology and to be in your presence, to pray to you, to listen to you, to feast on your holy word so that it might prepare us to do the work of your kingdom. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ. And all God's people said,